Do you know the author? No, I don't. And I don't know the title either. But it's a blue book, and it kind of gives the whole story. You know. Have you a real love of books and learning? Library Instruction. It's September 2011, and this is episode 30. Uh, and we've got a couple of awesome guests this month. Uh, we're going to be talking about gaming. Uh, let's start uh, with the usual round of introductions. The the regulars will introduce ourselves, and then we'll bring our two fabulous guests on. Um, I'm Jason Puckett, and I'm the communication librarian at Georgia State in Atlanta. Uh, Anna, you want to go ahead? Sure. I am Anna Vanskoik. I am a part-time reference librarian for a county public library system in New Jersey, and I blog at firstconclusions.com. And I'm Richard. I'm the science librarian at American University, and I just moved and I can't find my headphones, so I'm sorry if no one can hear me. (laughs) Rachel's struggling a little bit with, with microphones and internet connection today, but you sound okay so far. Good. Uh, Teresa and uh, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Um, Go ahead, Teresa. Why don't you start and introduce yourself real briefly? Thanks. Okay, I'm Teresa McDevitt, and I just completed a um, book, an edited book of games and information literacy. I work at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I'm a government documents reference librarian. And I've been here for a thousand years. And Ryan is, I think, one of the contributors to yes. the book. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you very much. Um, I guess I should introduce myself. Yeah, uh, my name is Ryan Sittler. I am the Instructional Technology and Information Literacy Librarian at California University of Pennsylvania, which is in the same system as uh, Teresa's school. Uh, the, the town of California in Pennsylvania existed before the state was officially a state. Yeah. Oh, so, that's I was, interesting. I always like to explain that to people because they get very confused about where I'm at. I, I have to start by protesting both of these ridiculous university names. I think <laughs> Pennsylvania needs to to do something about this because how the rest of us can't possibly be expected to understand where the two of you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a big state. Pennsylvania is very big. It's big enough to contain at least two other states, apparently. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks both for uh, for joining us this month. Um, Teresa, I think you actually suggested uh, the, the topic for this month. Um, your, your book is just brand new out, right? I mean, it's just, just came out like uh, a few weeks ago, really. Well, June, I think. June, June okay. July. So longer ago than that. So we, we actually had to um, uh, struggle a little bit to get hold of, of copies of it before the show because it was so new that none of our libraries had it yet. So thanks for helping us out with that. Um, you want to it, – It's uh, the book is called Let the Games Begin, uh, Engaging Students with Field-Tested Interactive Information Literacy Instruction. And um, you want to maybe just start by telling us a little bit about um, what your idea was for the book and how you – kind of what uh, what it's about? 
Well, um, what it is is one of those books that just lists different kinds of um, games that you can easily integrate into your classes. And the way we came up with the idea was, well, I had been using a few games in my classes. I realized I'd been a librarian for 25 years, and I had had um, many years of trying to make my instruction better by getting more and more information that I would dump on the students <laughs> and, and making them do endless worksheets so that they would be interactive. And I one day, at the to start, I have a one-credit library class that goes all semester, and one day at the beginning of the, the year, I thought, well, maybe having a pre-test of information literacy skills is not the funnest thing you can do on the first day of class. Oh, it's students, not? <laughs> students love free tests. Maybe, maybe I, there's something else I could do that might be uh, not send the students screaming from my classroom. So um, I changed it and put it into just, uh, it was kind of like a, a Jeopardy thing. I'd heard about library Jeopardy, but it didn't do anything that complicated. All I did was put it in a PowerPoint presentation, put questions, and then the ABCD answers that had been in the pretest. And then I broke the students up into little groups, and, and we went through, and they just voted on what they thought the answers were. And I was just amazed at how it transformed the class from, you know, this introductory part where I had given them the lecture of what we're doing all semester until we got to this game when they all of a sudden came alive. And and so I got to be a real advocate of, of using those kind of things in the in the classroom. And then I went to a, a reflective, we have called reflective practice here, which is a teaching um, improvement group that we have on campus and they had done they had a, a session on games and I did a couple things there and then I, we came back to the library the next day and I was talking to the other librarians here and I said you know we should really have I wonder if there's a book that you can find that has you know about games and information literacy and when we found out there wasn't one we thought well we should try to do one and that was how it got started. And so you've got like is it 60 did I see that somewhere in the book you've got something like 60 different yeah, there are 60. Wow. wow. That's a lot. And Ryan, you wrote one of these, um, uh, Chasing Citations, is that the name of it? Yeah, actually I did that one, and I also, um, there's one on a game that I worked on called A Planet in Peril Plagiarism. Uh, so we actually, I got two chapters in there, believe it or not. <laughs> oh, uh, you're, you're one of several co-authors of that one, so I missed that one. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, Chasing Citations was the solo one, and I had actually, um, just to give a little history on that, I used that for the first time, actually it was, man, like 2005, I think. Uh, it was my first my first post-MLS library job, and uh, I was doing some work with the education department, and I wanted to just do something a little bit different with the class, and so I tried this you know, it's a game that takes less than five minutes to do. And the students flipped out over it. They just loved it. So it kind of permanently <laughs> affected the approach that I took with uh, my instruction. And it's interesting because I think we, st I know, I know that I've al always was looking for um, 
something, and, and when I think of active learning, I always have thought of more like what Teresa was saying, something where it's on the students and they're, they're doing it and they're filling out the worksheet and, and they're actively, there's my active learning, right? They're actively pursuing this end goal basically for themselves. And I'll be honest, I, I don't think I've ever really used games in the classroom. And it's just a no brainer to me because they are, they are the ones that they're active and they're, and they're getting to that, they're um, reaching that learning objective that you've set up for that game. And I can remember looking for active learning um, resources out there back in the day. And I mean, you would go to the information literacy wiki and, and whatnot. And this book is just, it reminds me actually of Ryan's, um, the instruction cookbook, Ryan, that you edited. I think that came out in 2008, I'm going to say, nine Recently, somewhere, somewhere around there, I, I actually the kind of years. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I will tell you frankly or truthfully that 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 book was some something of an inspiration for this book. And not only was it an inspiration, but Ryan really helped us to get started in finding con contributors. He it's, he sent a wonderful long email with all kinds of advice <laughs> in it. It really he really is. That's one reason why you know I really thought he should talk about it too because he really was it was he's he was very instrumental in in the project and it's you see that it's very practical you look at it and i mean yes there's the theory behind it you know there's the literature review that you did re revolved around how do games help in um in, in learning or in uh student learning but, I mean, it's just this great resource to go to. It has the contact information for everybody. It tells you how much time is required. It tells you um, how to prepare for it. How, I mean, it's it's the objectives that are involved with it, and it's very practical-based, which is one of my favorite things ever. I mean, theory is great and everything, and I know we need it, but um, I just think this is a great tool for an instruction librarian or a teacher librarian to have kind of in their arsenal to go. I mean, it's just this great go-to book. And I and I, it's, I don't even know how you would narrow it down. I mean, was it hard narrowing it down to 60 games? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> um, well, the – the way the book is put together is in in um, different um, the the things are you know say like information ethics or um, uh, citation or um, plagiarism yeah, uh, yeah that so um, the we did try to have a few in each one of those categories um, but it, it, it was harder getting the contributions than it was, oh, because, was it? because people, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know Ryan or and other people had what their experience is, but I think people use things and they don't consider them games. They never, and, and people don't think of traditional things being games. They, when they think of gaming in libraries, they think of, um, you know, Xbox kind of I things and educational mm -hmm. game. Yeah. And, and really I don't use anything. There's, there's one, this wonderful game called Goblin Threat. Have you guys used Goblin Threat? No. Yeah. Is that the one out of Lycoming? Yes. College. Yeah, I've played I that. I I use that in I in when we're talking about plagiarism in my library class. I I asked them to do that on their own, and um and that's a you know an online game, and but generally the things I do are not. They're just they're just fun activities. That you don't have to. I mean, people don't have to think, "Oh, I can't do that because I can't um, do programming." <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we we have talked in a, an early early episode. Might have been episode two. We talked with um, my friend Beth Galloway, who wrote a book about video gaming libraries. Um, 
and uh, but the the stuff in the book is all almost without exception is very low tech stuff and and requires very little <laughs> preparation and very little technology. Seriously, I mean, you know, uh, like uh, Ryan's chasing citation requires a little bit of you know paper and pen prep sort of. Uh, thing, you know, some index, index cards and to, to distribute the parts of the citation and stuff like that. But almost everything in the book you could do in almost any kind of a classroom environment because there's, there's very little technology involved in any of this stuff. It's, it's, um, you know, maybe need some, some online search stuff, but hopefully we've, we've got that in most of our classrooms anyway. <laughs> For me, I think that was one of the best things about this book is not only, getting ideas of how to take some of those lectures and turn them into something more exciting. But uh, it kind of got me rethinking about things that have, you know, like kind of activities that I've been doing and how just adding a gaming component completely transforms it and makes it so much more exciting. And like kind of using the book as a, you know, like a way to refresh your instruction entirely, even if you don't use any of the games that are in the book. I think just raising the awareness about what is a game, like you were saying, and how, it doesn't really take that much. That was really exciting for me. Well, something that had come up was that you were saying people don't think of what they're doing as a, you know, the quote unquote gaming. When you were putting the book together and you were getting people's um, submissions, what, what did you use to determine that it was a game? Well, the definition uh, that we used was just a, a fun activity. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't. It didn't really have to be. Um, I mean, there's many definitions of games. And of course, <laughs> I think that's in your preface, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, really, if we found something that was educational and engaging and fun, then we considered it a game. I mean, you know, jumping rope is a game, kind of, and nobody wins. You don't. And and even the question of and maybe this is something people might want to discusses whether or not you want to encourage competitiveness in your classes because some people I mean they <laughs> they do get into competitive games but um, if sometimes if you want them to work in teams and you want them to work together which is something they're definitely going to have to do when they go out of the university to be lifelong learners then um, being competitive might not be all that. It might be more important to work with other people than try to outdo them. But mm -hmm. it does seem to just get them fired up. You know, I well, think it's almost, I, I agree that competition definitely fires them up. But I'd say it's almost more the challenge than anything. Because I think yes. you can easily, yeah, you can have a game in which it's every individual is playing, you know, against themselves essentially to see, you know, right. can I get a score? Can I correctly figure this out and I think it's that little element of I need to get this right you know I need to figure this out that I think really drives them it's it tends to be anything that has challenge and uh, some kind of a unique aspect something that's not uh, that somebody hasn't previously previously encountered uh, mm -hmm. in games usually we talk about specifically pattern recognizing patterns like if you've ever played pac-man what pat how many times can you play before you figure out the perfect pattern to get through and then it becomes boring but uh, as long as you have some kind of challenge and something that's somewhat new for the brain to you know kind of chow down on uh, you've got intrinsic motivation that right. you just can't get with anything else mm -hmm. 
Well, let me say, I never got to that point with Pac-Man. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Blinky still gets me every time. <laughs> I, I wonder uh, if the two of you um, have encountered a lot of skepticism about the idea of using games in the classroom. I know everybody who contributed to the book is obviously into the idea, but... Um, I, I always feel like um, uh, there's there's a certain amount of resistance the, uh, to the idea of using games as a teaching tool just because it doesn't seem serious enough, or am I am I totally making that up? Oh, absolutely. That's why there's a section in each one of the the games that uh, gives advice to people that want to use games on how you can. Well, I, it doesn't say overcome resistance, but it says introduce to faculty because, I mean, I just had the experience last year. I do um, graduate history classes, and instead of having, you know, having me stand up there and go over each one of these very valuable databases and showing all their different things that they they have i i said well why don't we break them why don't we take the the students these are graduate students they've already used databases why don't we assign you know break them into groups assign a database to um each one of them let them investigate that database and let them come up and tell the, their fellow students why this is valuable what kind of materials in there and what are the what are the the valuable things that this database has that other ones don't seem to have to and the history professor said oh i hope he doesn't hear this <laughs> He said, we don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> Anna, you've done something like that activity, haven't you, in, in previous classes? Or am I thinking of somebody else where you, you had groups um, uh, sort of report out on, on the different databases? It wasn't in so much of a game format. Am I totally making that up? Anna, have we lost I think Anna? you're thinking of me. Oh, <laughs> Rachel? No, I did it too. I did that, Rachel. <laughs> okay. You want to duke it Damn out? It. <laughs> gaming you're going down Actually, I think I... <laughs> because yeah, I always I thought that the peers the students could explain it they because we get so jargony and we don't realize it sometimes I mean I tried to be conscientious of it but what I found is that the the, the peers kind of talking about it to their classmates they explained it in a way that they understood it better i mean they just i don't know they were just using the the terms that i wouldn't have they would use these metaphors and these analogies i'm like oh i never thought about it that way but yeah that is like itunes you know whatever (laughs) it's uh i don't know i found it very very helpful and again it's putting they're engaged in it because they are they i I think that's this this intrinsic they're responsible for this information that they're passing on to their friends and nobody wants to look silly Yes. Yeah, well, I was, was going to say, if you make them responsible for delivering a certain amount of the information as part of an activity, that's going to get their attention because I know one thing, if I've learned nothing else about students, it's that they don't want to look stupid in class. Right. <laughs> and in all fairness, I do think Rachel did it as well. I do think she did. I still do it. <laughs> yeah, she does do it. And it's funny because I, I never would have thought of that as a, a game per se, yeah. But I guess it does have some of those elements where there is this goal that you have in place for them, and they're kind of trying to reach this goal. I know one thing we kind of mentioned about the competitive competitive aspect is I did this one thing um, when I was at the University of Georgia where I taught a semester-long course, and I cannot remember for the life of me which module it was that we were on, but I broke the class up into males and females. Oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, the claws came out. I mean, it was 
it was one of the most active, engaged sessions. It was, we were all pretty exhausted afterwards, but it, it, they were very, I don't know what it is about separating the sexes, but Well, that's it a was challenge right there. It's kind of an implicit challenge, you know, whenever you separate someone by a specific characteristic, it's automatically saying which of you is better, I think. <laughs> yeah. There's you so know, much just, psychology uh, involved with it. I'm sorry, Ryan, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I am. I'm working on my PhD is on educational games is my focus. And uh, so I've got this whole folder full of stats and stuff like that. So before we were talking about resistance in higher ed. So I've got something for an education. I've got something from the faculty survey for student engagement. Uh, this was two, spring 2009. It says which professors use video game simulations or, virtu or virtual worlds in their teaching. And it says 86% never use it, 9% use at least some, and 5% don't even know what it is. So, <laughs> so when you figure 9% do at least a little bit of something, that is, you know, a small number. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was this, a, this was a survey nationally sent out, is that right? Yes, yeah, I okay. believe, Teresa, do you, Fessy's wow. national, isn't it? I'm sorry, what? The FESI survey is nat national, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. 4,600 faculty members at 50 U.S. colleges and universities. Yeah, okay, yeah, sounds like. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a pretty big. This was specifically a survey of the use of technology in teaching, or at least that's the part that I'm reading from the Chronicle. What kind of um, response and feedback have you had uh, about using games as a classroom exercise from, well, I was going to say from, from faculty, but from students as well? It sounds like the student response is pretty positive. Um, have, you, have you won over um, subject faculty members by doing some of this stuff? Well, um, something that, that I, I did, I said I tried to do that with one history faculty member. Well, that the original one wouldn't let me do it but right. the, but a younger um new faculty member who um had actually uh, done her doctoral work at a place where they had you know a lot of reflective teaching and things and and she was you know excited about it and i thought it i thought it was we did that where they were broken up and they they did the database discovery themselves and i think that was you know one of the best graduate classes i've had because even the graduate students tend to be more engaged than undergraduate students if you do the data dump with them um, that they it really ma it it made a difference anyway they still were you know more excited about it. plus the wonderful thing about it is you get to you get to see them you get to meet them because they're presenting to you so it isn't just about them meeting you you get to see them and see what they think and I mean they get to see what each other think too, but I mean that's that's wonderful for a, a professor. But so I mean that's really my reaction. But I wanted to tell you one other thing. You had one of the things we thought we might talk about are, are games that we have used. Mm -hmm. And my best game this summer was the. I, I'd really like to do a library mystery orientation sometime, but mm. but that requires a lot of people to help you with that. And that, and a lot of, but I figured out a way um, to to do. And this this game is actually in the book, um, where it's the best places in the library. And so instead of me having a tour where I take them all around the library and tell them about the places, I give them 
I write the names of places in the library on a piece of paper and put it in a you know little bowl, and they pick the places, and then they have to go and investigate them, and then they they walk around the library and they do sections of it. But to make it more interesting, we before the class starts, I say there's going to be two or three winners, depending on how many people are there, and they actually get to make up the categories. So it's the most comfortable, the (laughs) most um, useful, um, the place where you meet the most friends, whatever it is that they (laughs) are interested in. Uh, And and I just let them have it, you know, let them decide what, and, and, and then they go down, and some of them are just such actors and do such a great job and they, we have a children's section and then so one time they actually got the puppets from the children's section and had mickey and minnie telling you about finding oh the children's God. section in the oh library i mean they fabulous. were just wonderful it was it's so fun and i i did it with the um resident assistants that that were going to be so they were kind of would they would be like train the trainers mm-hmm. right. and we did those over the summer and it was just so much fun because a group like that generally might not be engaged because there's no motivation for them I mean it's not like they don't have any assignment or anything so but it was just it was just so fun and then at the end they vote they get to decide I don't get to decide anything and and this is something that maybe we should talk about is the guide on the side thing mm-hmm. that that I think is so valuable that, you know, you're no longer in control of everything. But that's such a, that's such a good thing for me. I mean, I love them being in control of things and letting them be in control of things. Because my heavens, I mean, these people are, are, are going to be in, in, you know, a year or two years, they're going to be out working. Why do we have to control them in the classroom? Mm. I have, uh, oh, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to ask if there, do you think there's a correlation between willingness to play games in the classroom and that willingness to uh, concede control for the instructor. Yeah. I'm just, I, I never thought of it that way, but I'd be willing to bet that the people that are the most comfortable with introducing some sort of gaming element are the ones that are okay to kind of let the class go where it will. Cause I think it's hard to devise a game where you know exactly what's going to happen. Cause you time. can't plan step by step. Right. Yeah. 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 I think that's, uh, that's what I think. I mean, yeah. I think that's part of the reason that people. Be, but but you know, it's just so energizing to even. I mean, it's so much more fun to teach now that I've started to use them. I mean, it, you, before I used to dread going into the classroom because I knew I'd be standing there and they'd be looking at me. I mean, this is actually I started to use them before they were all texting all the time. <laughs> <laughs> But even then, they they found ways to be disengaged. At this point, I would say the majority of the classes I teach, I I speak for maybe five minutes at the beginning and then have a few minutes that I interrupt here and there, but I usually give them either a learning activity or a game or something like that to use, except unless maybe not with freshman classes, but everything beyond that. Uh, The first years tend to still need a little bit more guidance, but after that, it's I pretty much... Let them do what they want. <laughs> but, but I mean, I have I have goals and objectives, and we meet them. But I set right. up a classroom where you know it's, there's more activity for them to do, and you know, basically, uh, I guide them to where they need to be. And it's interesting because I think that even even with the gaming, you can't cover everything in the library. I mean, you can't cover interlibrary. You, you just can't. You can't. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. I don't think you can. 
And I think that still with this, your fo- it keeps it focused for you. You have your you know two to three learning objectives, and it helps you with those. And obviously, hopefully, they know where to go to get help after that if they run into issues where they need interlibrary loan, and they can come for help on that aspect. But I do, I think, just looking at how they're lined out in the book, I mean, it really does keep each activity focused in that essence of this is what you're, the learning objective for this particular game. I hadn't really thought about that, Anna, but that does sound like, I, it, when you say it, it's so obvious. Yeah, I mean, this is a way to f- keep focused. On, we're always talking about, you know, your two or three learning objectives and don't try to cover everything. But I find, you know, even if I'm doing a more conventional lecture-based thing, I'm always wandering off, oh, and let me tell you about this other thing. But a game is a, or, or you know, any kind of a, an active learning thing is going to really keep you focused on those goals. Well, you know, in that regard, I always think good game design mirrors good instructional design. You know, if you have good right. objectives set up or if right. you have good goals and good objectives to meet those goals, you know, you should be able to hit all of the stuff you want to hit, uh, hopefully. Teresa, I'm intrigued by the uh, the fact that you're talking about using this more often with graduate students because I was imagining as I read this book, I was really imagining – I was thinking you would need this kind of thing more with a younger, less experienced group because you need to engage them. You need, you need some active way to engage them with the material, whereas grad students are going to be a little more self-motivated. But that's not what your, your, uh, your experience is uh, suggesting. Well, well I, I think, I mean, I, I don't think that, that, I do think they're more motivated, and I think that they're more willing to sit and try to absorb anything that you provide for them. And, and there's still always going to be occasions when you want to use lectures because you do have to get a lot of information out to them. And I mean, I mean, part of it is, is the, the people that you're dealing with. If, I mean, it would be great if you could just provide them with the information and they would just absorb it. But <laughs> that, and, and, but especially, I mean, look at, look at traditionally the way they teach graduate students. Um, I mean, in seminars, I mean, a lot of times with the, you know, the, the students, I mean, when I have a doctorate, when I was working on my doctorate, I mean, a lot of times you would go in and you would teach, I mean, you, it was your day to teach the class some kind of concept. So, I mean, to expect, to want them to do that in a library class, I mean, a library session, I don't think is, I mean, I think it's an alternative. You don't need to do it. I just, I mean, I think you could do it either way with graduate students. I think with undergraduate students, you're really wise to, I, 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 and I don't even say wise. I think you would, I think everybody would be happier if they did that. And again, you're not going to be able to cover as much material. You're, you're just not. But what, what, how much of what, you tell them in an hour-long class where you're trying to, where the professor asks you to teach them everything about the library. Yeah. Can you, do they absorb? Right, as you called it, the data dump. I mean, it really is just this, this like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'll be honest. What are they, I can't remember, there's some statistic out there about how, how, long someone can stay focused on someone <laughs> it's like 10 minutes yeah it's very very short it's not very long at all um ryan we've mentioned the the uh game that uh, you wrote for the book or the, there's a couple of them actually but we haven't actually talked about kind of the structure of it can we talk about which whichever one you prefer either chasing citations or the um Planet in Peril one. Can you just kind of give a, a rundown for for listeners and kind of describe what's involved in in one of these 
Well, sure. I can actually, I mean, I can describe both pretty quickly. Sure. Um, uh, chasing citations, the whole uh, idea behind it is it's kind of a, uh, I had some professors that really wanted me to talk about citing, specifically in APA. Uh, I've met few topics that students need more help with than citing, <laughs> but I've met few that they dread more or that they just hate hearing about it. So what I did was I devised chasing citations to just be kind of a fun, culminating activity. Uh, you know, we talk very briefly about how to set up a proper APA citation. And in the context of like a sample search, I happened to find an article, which of course I picked out ahead of time. And I have the different pieces of it printed out on big pieces of paper. So I, have them spread around the room. I break the room into two teams. And basically it becomes each team runs around, grabs a piece of paper. They get what they need to create a citation. And then they have to get, themse get themselves lined up in the proper order for what the citation should look like. Uh, and they love it. They go crazy over it. And then, you know, I tell them that there's a prize for whoever wins. And once it's all over with, I tell them they both lit. Both won because now they're more information literate, and everybody, you know, everybody oh. groans. And everybody groans, and you know, I give them candy or something sometimes. Uh, but uh, it is—it's so much fun. And the first time I did it, I was actually getting observed, and uh, you know, having kids. Oh, you're, a, run you're a risk taker. That was brave. <laughs> I was—I was one year temporary faculty at Shippensburg, so it didn't really. I thought if, if I get. If they don't like it, what's it matter? I'm gone one way or the other. I'm running um, with scissors. <laughs> but, uh, but it worked out really well. And, you know, I had these kids running around a computer lab, which sounds like a bad idea. But it <laughs> it worked really well, and they just had a good time. Now, that what I've learned since then is that was with uh, an education class, you know, people that are interested in becoming teachers. It worked really well with them. The same activity does not necessarily work so well with other constituencies. It kind of depends. Uh, education, I think, is a self-selecting kind of a profession. Mm -hmm. So I think you get you get a certain personality type, and they really seem to enjoy it. I wouldn't necessarily want to do it with our criminal justice students. They, <laughs> they you know, they may not see it as much uh, as being uh, a useful use of their time. But, uh, but yeah, that's chasing citations. It's just, it takes, you know, less than five minutes to do it. And it's just a fun little way to end the activity or to yeah, end the can session. I, can I just say, I think that's a great game because it, it shows them, you know, putting citations in order. They, they hate that. I, I, I'm not sure. I wouldn't say that I love it, but. <laughs> But, I've never met anybody who does, but it is arbitrary, and it and and they the first thing they have to know is what the little pieces are, and then they have to know what order to put them in. And to have them be those little pieces, I think, is such a great game because it it has to just mean so much to them. Because here I am, the noun. Where do I go? Or I'm the title. Where do I go? I, I just think it's great. Sorry. There's also something about that movement. I think. I mean, even when you would. And I would have students groan about this when I'd have them get into groups and they would have to leave their friends and go into a different group and they would groan. But just that activity, just that little activity of getting up and moving and walking, I just, I don't know, it does something to rejuvenate and to get them ready. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's just something I was thinking about when you were saying they were running around the computer room. I'm like, I kind of like that. It's, uh, yeah. you know, get some going. And, mm -hmm. and there was another one, Ryan, that you were going to talk about. Is that right? 
Oh yeah, a planet in peril plagiarism. Uh, what happened was we actually we it was myself and a team of other people. I suppose I should mention everybody. Uh, myself and uh, they're all other students in my doctoral program. So Chad Sherman, who actually is now Doctor Sherman, he graduated. Uh, Dave Keppel, Chrissy Schaefer, Dana Hackley, and uh, Laurie Grosick. So the rest of us have not graduated yet, but. Uh, we uh, we started putting this game together using a piece of software called Thinking Worlds, and the the idea was to put together a game that taught about plagiarism. And I have no idea if you played it or not, but it's available for free. It's out on the web. Uh, the whole point was a student plagiarizes a paper, and this group of aliens who deem themselves the protector of the planet uh, know that it brings about the end of the world because one of them has a prophecy that this happens. Now what you find out <laughs> what you find out over the course of the game is the one that has the prophecy isn't quite right. So his prophecy may or may not be accurate, but nonetheless they all become committed to this idea that this plagiarism is going to end the world. So they go <laughs> they masquerade as faculty and librarians and whatnot on a college campus and reveal themselves to this student to get him to basically change his ways and rewrite the paper. And uh, you know, and if you don't, the world ends. And if you do, you know something else happens. Uh, the world continues. Yes, but uh, that was basically the idea. And we worked on that. Oh, man, from the original concept, I'd say we worked on it for six months. But we really did a hard a hard push at one point in yeah, about a six week time period to really get some of the coding down and uh, some of the setup and the graphics and all that stuff. And uh, the cool thing, the coolest thing that came out of it was not only did we get to write a book chapter about it, but we submitted it to a educational games competition in, in the UK and we took first place. So we actually, oh my gosh. yeah, it was cool. And it was, you know, that was pretty awesome. So not only did we get to say that we were game designers after that, but we got to say that we were award winning <laughs> game designers. <laughs> And it's so interesting because just those two examples are so different technology-wise. I mean, you have one that is completely something that you programmed, right? I mean, from scratch. And then one that really, what's the technology involved with that? Index cards, basically. Yeah, I mean, it was really both ends of the spectrum. Now, yeah. to be fair, the, the game engine that we used called Thinking Worlds does keep programming to a minimum. That we still had to do some, and you yeah. still have to do a lot of the design and stuff. But it's, I mean, it's not like we just sat down with a blank page and started hand, hand coding everything. But Did it have an evaluation um, aspect to it as well? I mean, is there a way you can kind of track what the users are doing through it or just use it as an evaluative tool? It does have, at the very end, uh, there's essentially a test that you have to take. Um, we don't want to give too much away. But we don't call it a test, though, right? Right, right. <laughs> it's more like you're you're playing for your life at that point. But, exactly. Uh, but uh, <laughs> a boss fight. There's some yeah. challenge there. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's some stuff in there. Um, I mean, the interesting thing is the software was developed to create military simulations. That was really what the basis was, because I mean, I don't know if you know, but the military uses simulations, and, right. I mean, extensively in their training. So we took it and decided to take a more fun route with it, and the people that made it were really impressed with the way we manipulated some of the stuff that was in there to be more rigid, uh, to add more fun game-like elements to it. So there is some evaluation, but it's... we. Because of the way the software was set up, it, some of it's a little bit more rigid than we wanted, but it was just the nature of the engine we were mm -hmm. using. Can I say something? The, Absolutely. Um, we were talking about people that are that are 
that's good to approach with this kind of thing. It's like, and you know, I, I I found that that we have graduate students that teach here, teach classes, and then younger faculty mm-hmm. seemed a little seem to be a little more open. Not not to be ageist, but <laughs> I I think they're less settled in what they teach, so they're more willing to incorporate new ideas. And I think I think it's a real opportunity for librarians to approach new faculty and and uh, and graduate teaching assistants. Um, because they're just learning, and you could really make an impact on, you know, 40 years of teaching mm-hmm. if you can. Um, and, and they they'd like the help, and you can. I I think it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to start those collaborations early, and that kind of plants a seed in the graduate students or the new faculty. Oh, the librarian is a peer; they can help me in this in my yeah. instructional design, et cetera. So it really no, I think that's a. I always say. I think too often librarians, you know, are you know, I, I mean, I I'm all for. I've always felt that I work primarily in a supportive role, but I think we should be kind of. I mean, in. in I mean, I think we should take the initiative and and try to lead them in terms of. I mean, I think librarians too often are. Tell me what you want. I um, will make a session on whatever your learning objectives are mm-hmm. in whatever way you want me to do it. Right. And and of course, I think we, that we have to do that. But with certain people, with some professors, they may be more. They're more open to. And we should take that. At, opportunity when it presents itself yeah i'm a i'm a big fan of saying okay i know what you want to do let me let me see if i can let's work together and see if we can readjust this just a little bit um because i i mean i used to be in the same position where i kind of just whatever sessions came my way i just did what was asked of me and that was it and over time i started to realize you know i have a professional voice here um maybe i should start using it and it's been very i've it has worked very well, actually. You're right. I think I think we don't do enough of that. I know I probably don't. <laughs> I think there's success in that when you come to them with options. If you, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've gotten the information from them and you've taken it and you've processed it for yourself, and then you come back with some options for them too. Because then I think that there's that essence of it being participatory. It's not a well, no, I'm going to do this kind of thing. Right. Aspect to it. Well, one problem we had here was they cut the the class sessions back ten minutes. Ooh. Um. So so that was that was that was the information literacy ten minutes. That was the session that they gave <laughs> to the libraries, and so we've really had to try to come back and and uh, and work our way in there again. And we've done things like you know drive bys, where you just come in for ten minutes. And, and say, we're here and we can help you. And, you know, and this is the person that you want to find. And this is the library web page. It's even better than Google. Well, we tell them that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, that's. Something that was kind of mentioned before was um, Ryan was talking about the prize aspect. And do you think, I know that in the book that there's, you actually give suggestions for prizes for each of the games. Do you think a prize is important? Is it is it an integral part of the the the, the design for the game? I know Rachel is a great advocate of chocolate in the classroom, right? <laughs> <laughs> Even just something. I mean, I 
I always get a different response. You know, it's like you're going to have some people that are going to participate no matter what. But I feel like some people need that extra little bit of motivation um, just to raise their hands. They're like, well, if there's chocolate involved, you know. Or points. I mean, if you can possibly get the professor, if you're not if it's not a a credit class um, that you're teaching to give them some points. I mean, you know, five points. You know, I mean, it's not very many points, but but they love it. I mean, and usually the people who get it don't need the points anyway. <laughs> but, <laughs> but or, or, I mean, I, 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 I personally, you know, I, I would like it if every day was Halloween. <laughs> so I love giving out <laughs> prizes. I mean, it, it, it's great. I mean, I enjoy it. Um, but um, you do sometimes you feel a little funny, you know. Oh, I get this little eraser. <laughs> <laughs> and your fabulous prize is a library pencil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know what? Oh, if you've got if you've got USB drives, students go nuts for those. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know something else they like are staplers. Really interesting. Yeah, the, the only thing that their phone won't do. <laughs> it's true. I don't think many students own a stapler these days. I'll tell you though, even an intangible reward of some kind can be very motivating because um, I have been using a fitness website recently called Fitocracy. (laughs) um, It's structured around the idea that you get points for reporting your workouts and it will give you a level up uh, response when you get a certain number of points. And I am such a video game geek that I am hardwired such that if you tell me I can level up by doing something, I will do that thing for as long as you want. As long as you keep telling me periodically you've leveled up, I go, yeah, I'm going to keep doing that. So, uh, you know, to a certain kind of um, obsessive geeky personality like my own, uh, it, it doesn't have to be any kind of an intangible reward. It just has to be framed in the right way. And so if you can figure out you know what kind of intangible thing you can give your students uh, as a reward for participating in something you can really motivate them and I say this as probably the only person on the call who has not actually used games of any kind in the classroom which is um, I know that'll be hard to believe but I can't I think find that hard to believe. I can't okay. think of any activity that I've ever done that you could characterize as a game and maybe I'm just not thinking of the right thing that I'm I've done um, but I, I use a lot of discussions and, and things like that, uh, but I, I don't think that I've done anything that you could characterize as a game. And I, as we're talking about all of this, I keep thinking, geez, that's really lame of me that, that I haven't experimented with this in, in some fashion, and clearly I need to next semester. Well, I, how, what do you think, how many, I mean, well, if there's five people here and you think you're the only one in this group, do you think that's representative of the library profession? I do. The one of no. five. No, no. <laughs> no. I think it's the other way. I think it, I think if you reverse yeah. those numbers, yeah. it's much closer. I think we're all self-selecting people. We've obviously got an interest in library instruction and committing ourselves to providing really exciting, you know, ways to teach people. So I think it kind of, I think we all naturally kind of gravitate towards it. But hmm. I think a lot of people don't really like getting outside of their comfort zone, and that's what games do. You know, you know, it, it, you're right. You have to get outside your comfort zone, but but in a way, you get into this this new, really comfortable zone. 
But it's almost I, like a leap of faith in a way, whereas it is. You're taking a chance. Yeah. And especially if you are comfortable, if you're comfortable standing at the front and just doing demonstrations, if that's what you're comfortable with. And that's, uh, that's actually one of the things I like about team teaching is that for those people who do like to stand and demonstrate to have, to kind of, I, I just always learned from other people when I t- team taught. And um, if you can have like the yin and the yang going on, sometimes I think that, that works out nicely. And that might kind of help coerce, coerce, that's not the word I wanted. <laughs> M- motivate. Thank you. Encourage. <laughs> you know, you. I've actually used, I've used the, I love team teaching, but I've also used, starting this semester, kind of the reverse of that. I'll have two different teams of students work on the same resource and then have one of them present it to the group and have the other one either add to, you know, or extend or refute or rebut or offer a different viewpoint on the same thing. And it's amazing to me how you get such a holistic explanation of something that I would have never thought to explain in that much detail. And they kind of try to one up each other. So it actually, I mean, in that in that respect, it's a little bit game like, I guess, but it's a cool activity. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So as we've been talking, um, I had some classes earlier this week, and I did, totally didn't classify it as a game. But um, I'm going to tell you guys what we did, and you guys can decide whether it's a game or not. Um, but we made them do uh, research MythBusters, where everyone, ah. <laughs> so everyone got. <laughs> I know it sounds like a game. Um, everyone got a topic like tall people make better leaders and then they had to find a scholarly or popular article one of each um, and decide is it confirmed is it busted or is it plausible and um, before they started they actually picked one of the topics for me to do and ah. then I, I come up with some search strategies on the fly and that's how we demonstrate you know boolean operators and subject terms and stuff and then they do it off in groups and um, I They've been very dedicated to it, but I don't know if it, there's that same kind of, I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you, do you feel like you're putting them in a position where the groups are, in some sense, kind of competing with each other? Like, to come up with the best, best answer, or? Not really. I think the goal is to find the answer, but it's not, you know, as compared to the other groups. Like, each group's kind of working on their own, and then they share at the end of the class. But it's not like, haha, I did you know, answered my question better than you did. And I love, oh. I love the idea. I'm sorry, Teresa, and I'll, I'll shut up in a second. But I just want to say I love the idea that you are participating at the same time on the same challenge that the students are. That's my favorite part because I, I don't know which one they're going to pick ahead of time. And we only do this like once a year. So I've forgotten the answers and the strategies. <laughs> so every year I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be the year that I fail and I can't find anything. <laughs> <laughs> And that actually did happen in one of the classes. I could not find anything for the life of me on one of them. But, you know, then we talk about, well, if I can't answer this question, maybe I can answer a, a question that leads to this question, you know, something like that. But <laughs> it's definitely like, oh, it's a it's a different kind of class, I think. Teresa, I cut you off a moment ago. Please go yeah, ahead. No, I was just going to say that, that, um, that it's, it sounds like it's fun and it's challenging and there is success and failure because you mentioned that you actually couldn't answer one of them once. So, but what kind of a class do you, I think that's wonderful. What kind of a class do you do it for? We actually do it. It's our um, first years. It's a college writing program. Great. Yeah. It started as a, you know, let's introduce them to one of our library databases. Like uh, academic search premier is what we use. 
So. Oh, wonder what? That's great. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, Rachel, eventually Doug Cook and I are going to do a third book with either another cookbook or something like that. And when we do, I hope you're still doing that because, I, you know, we would definitely love to have – I'm sure we would love to have that in the book. Or if yeah. Teresa does another book and wants to do that, you know, either way. Aren't you, you need, nice, Ryan? You're so you, nice. <laughs> you, need, you need to get that out there for people because that's a cool idea. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's – that's wonderful. I mean, it, I, I think every time someone tells somebody else about an activity like that or a game or whatever you want to call it, I mean, I, it's it's it helps everybody. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things I love about this book the most is like every time I hear about one activity and I think using the splitting people up into databases um, that I got from Anna, I still use that. And I heard it like five years ago and to have 60 in one place, like it's just it's it's blowing my mind of like all these different ways that you can take classes that I've never considered. So bravo! <laughs> oh, thank you. Aren't you nice? <laughs> well, I've talked on previous episodes about my my journalism twenty five hundred class, which is like the required basic research skills class, and I've always struggled with a way to it's it's like the usually the earliest point in the program that I'm catching the the journalism majors and I've always struggled with a way to make it interesting and I I continue to do that and I I think that I need to come up with something like that it's always a big group and so it's sort of hard to coordinate an activity like that but um if I can come up with something like this that's sort of low prep that that would be easy to do with a big group I think that that would go a long way toward making the class interesting for them and um, it's a case where I have I have buy-in from the uh, program coordinator now. There's one faculty member I mentioned recently who's coordinating all the sections of this. So I could go to her and say, this is what I'm going to be doing with this. And she would say, okay, so buy-in wouldn't really be a problem. You know, I can just say, this is the activity we're doing. She'll say, great. So I need to just come up with something like this. that, uh, and, and I clearly need to go through the book and sort of figure out what, what's going to work well. Um, Rachel, you've done, I know we're, we're just about running out of time, but Rachel, you've done, um, is it Family Feud that you do that rem- the Jeopardy activity yeah. in the book reminded yeah. me of? Oh, it's Family Feud, and I've gone through a few versions of it now. Um, and actually, Ryan, when you were putting together the library instruction cookbook, I totally meant to submit this and then <laughs> got distracted by other things. I think I actually wrote it up and then never sent it. Um but it, it's just for um, how do you evaluate the validity of information? So it's, you know, what questions can you ask? Like, who's the author? How recent is it? Uh, where's the funding coming from? Where is it published? All that stuff. But we just put it in Family Feud, and then I have them guess. And I'm always shocked at how instantly alive they become. And I think it's very similar to what Teresa was saying. It's the same information, you know, but instead of me telling them, or even just having them brainstorm a list. Now there's a predefined list that they're trying to fill in, and it makes they, yeah. I have never ever wanted for answers because everyone's like, ooh ooh ooh, I want to get number one. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. So now I like I give out prizes for like the last one that people get, stuff like that. But yeah, that's the other main game that I do, and I think I think episode one. I talked about it. I know we've talked about it before, but I know it's been a long time. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm going to go back and listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I love that. I guess for me as a public librarian, because I'm not working with 
I don't know. I just feel like it's a, it's a different demographic group. When I was looking, when I kind of listening today and kind of looking at the different games that were provided, I guess for me it kind of gave me a framework to use, um, whether it's the Family Feud or the Mythbusters or Jeopardy, something that I could use in, in those presentations. Oh, did I just say presentation? Those classes, workshops that I teach <laughs> where it can be more interactive. I think that it's not a an eight, a traditional uh, traditional um, student age thing. I think that uh, it can go with all ages because I am. I'm working with a lot of older um, community members, but I still think that I could use some of the framework that's available with some of the games that were provided in the book. Well, I think that's that's the uh, a lot of the value of a book like this is sort of as a jumping off point um, because right. I got a lot of ideas. I wouldn't use this exactly maybe in my context, but I could I could tweak it and I could use this idea in some other ways. And there's there's some really fun, really flexible stuff in here as well. Jason, I'm looking forward to hearing what you come up with. I, I really need to make that a goal for even just for if just for this one class is is to use some kind of because I think some kind of game like activity could really um, could really wake up that uh, journalism 2500 class that I'm constantly talking about. Well, you know, I think uh, my, one of my colleagues, Loring Prest, came up with a great uh, a great explanation to this kind of thing a couple of years ago, and he said, if the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer, every single problem. <laughs> looks like a nail so <laughs> right and i thought wow that's brilliant because it's so true um so even just picking up little bits and pieces here and there just gives you one more tool that you can draw on uh you know and no matter what it looks like it's still you know you'll, it'll either work or it won't work and you can retool for later and just you know keep getting better and i think that's great and how close it mirrors what we often tell our students right about using library resources that each one's a tool that has a time and a place, and so mm-hmm. that you become a more flexible searcher by using the right tool at the right time. It's totally true of teaching, too. Never mm-hmm. thought of that. I think we'll go ahead and wrap up there just for time's sake. Um, so uh, we'll just uh, say thank you to both of you, Teresa and Ryan, for uh, for taking the time to join us today. Um, this has been a really fun discussion. Um, the book that we're talking about, again, is called Let the Games Begin, edited by Teresa McDevitt. Um, and uh, with contributions from Ryan Sittler, as well as many others. And um, we will post a, uh, a link to it in the show notes with the full citation info. Um, thanks again, you guys, so much. This has been really a lot of fun. We appreciate you taking it. It has been fun. Thank you. Yes, it has. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks. We'll catch everybody in a month. I hope everybody's semesters are going well. And uh, that's been Episode 30. We'll talk to you again in a month's time. Adventures in Library Instruction is produced by Rachel Borcher, Jason Puckett, and Anna Van Skoik. It's released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License. To subscribe, go to our website at adlibinstruction.blogspot.com. Leave comments and suggestions on the blog or email us at adlibinstruction at gmail.com. Our opening theme song is Dropping Out of School by Brad Sucks, and our closing theme is Higher Education by the Napoleon Blonapartes. Both are available at magnatune.com. Contact the library schools and the American Library Association. They are able to give you valuable advice.